0: Chapter Twenty Four of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Asia, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Indochina. We are in Hanoi this morning. Most of us had never heard of it before we came to Hong Kong, but we now know that it is the capital of Indochina and the chief city of an extensive country in Asia. Indochina belongs to the French and is controlled by them it is much larger than france and it contains about 18 million people who are mostly of the yellow race they are somewhat like both the chinese and the malays but in many respects are different from either they are darker than the chinese and lighter than the malays who live farther south they are by no means so strong a race as the chinese and are far behind them in civilization nevertheless they have their own language and customs, The most of them are farmers engaged in rice-raising. Much of the country is irrigated, and parts of it are so rich that it is called the granary of South Asia. A great part of Indochina is wild and unsettled. It is to a large extent a tropical jungle, in which elephants and tigers roam, and it has also many venomous snakes. It has deer and wild birds. There are alligators in the rivers, and so many fish that a great industry is carried on in salting and smoking them for the market. This is especially so about Tonle Sap, a lake in the southern part of the country. Indochina is well watered. In some places, the annual rainfall is so great that if it remained where it fell, it would flood the country to a depth of seven and one half feet and drown out the people. The streams overflow to such an extent. That they cover vast areas they bring great loads of silt down from the highlands and at the time of the floods most of the soil is composed of earth washings from the himalaya mountains the chief of the rivers is the mekong which rises on the plateau of tibet not far from the source of the yangtze and spreads out over a wide delta through which it empties into the pacific the mekong is one of the world's greatest rivers If it could be laid upon North America, it would reach from the Arctic Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico, and its load of rich fertilizing matter would exceed that of the Mississippi. In this respect, the Mekong compares favorably with the Nile, and its mud is used in much the same way. But we shall see all this as we go on with our travels. Let us take a walk through Hanoi, the capital of Tonkin, the province which adjoins China. The city is situated on the Red River, about 60 miles from the port of Haiphong, where we have landed. It has a railroad connecting it with the coast, and there are other roads which go several hundred miles northward into some of the richest parts of South China. We see little steamers in the Red River, which flows by the town, and notice the smoke coming from the stacks of the new cotton mills which have been recently erected. Hanoi has electric streetcars and electric lights, and in its center is a foreign quarter containing the palace of the Governor-General, some fine European houses, large stores and hotels, a museum, and a botanical garden. There is a little lake in the middle of the city, and not far away is the citadel or fortification surrounded by a wide and deep moat. It is there the troops live. The native town contains most of the people— they dwell in cane huts thatched with palm leaves having many little villages which are here joined together lining the river for several miles they seem to work hard but they have but little skill and are less intelligent than any people we have yet seen returning to the seacoast of Haiphong, we take ship for saigon the chief port of cochin china situated on the saigon river forty miles from its mouth In the lower part of its course, the Saigon is as wide as the Mississippi and deep enough for big ocean steamers. The water is clear and opalescent jellyfish are floating about. The land is low and here and there the banks are bordered with coconut palms. Great pelicans with big yellow sacks under their throats stand in the water near the shore and alligators are frequently seen. We anchor amid junks which are taking on rice for export to China. Each boat has two fat eyes painted on the size of its prow, and the sailors are Chinese. There are French and German steamers loading for Europe. Steam launches owned by the foreign officials and merchants, and also many small native craft. Landing, we find a French quarter, somewhat like that of Hanoi, and a native city of rude houses and huts. In the French town, the streets are wide with pavements of brick, and the houses have gardens filled with tropical trees. The native houses are largely of cane and palm leaves. There are many warehouses and not a few rice mills containing modern machinery. The Europeans are chiefly French, dressed in white cotton, and we see well-dressed French ladies carrying parasols. They ride about in carriages and seem to lead a gay life away out here in Asia. The natives of Cochin, China wear black clothes of much the same style as the Chinese. The women have long coats and wide, flapping trousers, which fall to their feet. They go bareheaded, and their long, glossy black hair is bound in a knot on the neck. The men wear their hair long and tie it up in a twist on the crown. The women do not bind their feet like the Chinese, and they walk very straight. Their chief ornament is a collar of silver or brass as thick as a lead pencil— and their dresses are fastened at the neck with buttons of gold, silver, or brass. Most of the babies are naked, and the children wear but little clothing until they are pretty well grown. Nevertheless, all are decorated with jewelry. During a visit to Saigon, I saw a girl of four years who wore a gold collar, gold anklets, a gold bracelet, and ten finger rings, and nothing else. Many of the women seem charming at first sight, but their beauty disappears as soon as they open their mouths. We then see that their tongues and teeth are as black as our boots, and that their mouths are filled with what seems to be blood. They keep their jaws moving, and now and then spit out a bright saliva. The men and children do likewise, and we ask if the whole race has sore gums. The reply is that they are chewing the beetle, a habit which is common throughout farther India, Malaysia, And even in our Philippine islands, these people take pride in the custom, saying that any dog may have white teeth, but only those who can afford the beetle can have beautiful black ones. The betel nut grows on the araka palm. It is of about the size of a walnut and has a green skin and a soft, spongy interior which tastes bitter. It has much the same effect as tobacco upon those who use it, stimulating the nerves and taking away hunger. The native cuts off a piece of the nut and adds a pinch of lime and a bit of tobacco. He puts this mixture into his mouth and chews and chews. We take gin rickshaws and drive about Saigon. The streets are of red earth, so pounded down that they are as hard as iron and as smooth as a floor. They are bordered with trees, and we ride under palms loaded with coconuts and torch trees as tall as an oak with flowers the color of fire. There are other trees bearing blue blossoms and fan-like palms which seem to whisper to one another as the wind blows through them. We visit the stores and find them filled with French goods. The country has a postal system run by the French, and Saigon has newspapers in the French language. We meet French officers and many native soldiers in French uniforms. Leaving the foreign quarter, we go by railroad to the neighboring native town of Cholon, where we visit the markets. The business here is done in little cells under a great roof in what is known as a bazaar. The merchants sit in their cells, surrounded by their wares. There are many jewelry stores, and we each buy a silver collar to take home. Jewelry is the savings bank of the common people, and not a few have all their wealth on their persons. Most of the merchants in the markets are women and girls. Here and there are money changers from India who have little piles of gold, silver, and copper coins on tables before them. The silver pieces are of one dollar twenty cents, ten cents, and five cents each. The copper coins are in cents and one-fifth cents each piece having a hole in it that may be strung upon strings. Leaving the bazaar, we visit some of the rice mills which are filled with modern machinery, and then go back to Saigon. End of chapter 24